kids run out of here, it's like a tidal wave, you know, rushing out the door there. Just fantastic. You know, I think all of us have been lost a time or two. Um, I know it's happened to me many times. I mean, uh, you know, driving a car, being lost, or finding myself on a test, and suddenly you look up and you go, I'm lost, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, what should I do here? Uh, we kind of experienced that this morning, Neola and I. They, uh, if you missed the uh, morning service, they got out the, got out the hymnals. And it's been a while since I've used a hymnal. And lo and behold, they went and shrunk all the type on us, didn't they, Neola? We, we were holding it, it was like, we're holding it like this, trying to read the type, and holy cow. That was a few prescriptions ago, I think, when I read those. But uh, When I was a little kid, um, back in, oh man, it'd be 1973 maybe, I mean, for some of you, I know that's, that's a long time ago. But in about 1973, we used to be able to do things as kids, like sit in the car while your parents went into the store, uh, ride in the back of the car, you know, up where the window is, because we all had bench seats, so when the parents hit the, the, the brakes, you'd like flop and fall down into the thing. You know, that was always fun. And one time, we were in Urbana, and... There's an old store there called TG&Y, I think was the name of it, which later became the Odd Lot store, and now I think it's closed. I don't even know what's in there now, but mom leaves me in the car, and she goes, goes shopping, and I'm sitting out there, and it waits a little while, and I'm thinking, you know, mom told me, just stay here in the car, but I couldn't wait, so I had to, I'm going to go find mom, so I get out of the car, walk into the store, and I start looking around, and mom's not there so I start walking up and down the aisles and she's still not there and I'm like where's mom what's going on and suddenly I realized I'm lost I'm all alone it's like the world grew like a hundred times you know he's like what am I gonna do and I remember I was panicked and I cried and I ran up and down the aisles just like oh where's my mom and then I suddenly remembered, I remembered, she said, if you ever get in trouble, go to the service counter. There's people up there who will help you out. So I make my way up there, and I'm like, hmm, 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 mom, you know, and she, some girl gets on her, and there's a kid stuck up here without his parent. Will you please come get you, you know. Mom comes in, and, you know, I was rescued, and, you know, here I am, 40-ish years later, and uh, suddenly uh, I still remember how terrifying that was, that brief instant of, I'm alone, I'm lost, what am I going to do? And uh, I remember how happy I was that my mom was there and, and, and found me, and I was really appreciative that she said, now here's what you do, if you get in trouble... Go to the counter, and then they'll take care of it. Okay, so I remembered her words. That was a good thing. Well, I'm not Hindu or Buddhist. I, we always talk about karma and stuff at our house. You know, karma's going to get you, you know. Well, karma came back on me because uh, many, many times we'd be go shopping at the mall when the kids were little, 
we'd go into Sears, and Cody and Dustin would always run off. And I'd be like, get back here. And they would run into the racks. They're all circular racks. They were small enough. They would hide inside there. So I'm running around looking for them. I can't find them. Paybacks, I guess. Maybe you're lost. Uh, be, maybe you've been lost because of your own stubbornness. Maybe you've ever been driving somewhere and you got lost, but you refuse to admit it. I'm not lost. It's a grandpa shortcut. That's it. And, you know, we'll get there eventually. One time I took the youth down to King's Island years ago. Karen went. She was a young at that time. And I was driving the boys down. We were coming back that night. And, and I remember we were running late. And I'm driving. I'm responsible. I got like five boys. And they're all back there just, well, you know. I get the Xenia. And I can't remember. Oh, do, I, do I turn? Do I? And I looked at Keith Dickerson, Larry's son. And I said, Keith, where do we, which way to Springfield? He goes, I think it's that way. All right, so I turn left and start driving, and nothing looks familiar. We end up in Beaver Creek. <laughs> I remember I said, Keith, you're not much of a co-pilot, are you? And he looked at me without missing a beat, and he said, yeah, well, who gave you your license? You know. <laughs> so he told me, but... From there, we ended up at Wright State. And I was like, I can get home from Wright State. So we made it eventually. You know, if I had just looked at the paper I had that said, when you get the Xenia, you get... No, no, I didn't want to do that. But I think all of us have gotten lost a time or two, maybe in your job. You're on the job all the time, doing the work. And what am I doing here? I don't understand what, the, what they're asking of me. I don't know if I like this job. Should I be doing this? Maybe your relationships that you're, you've been in, you've questioned sometimes. I just feel lost. What about your dreams? What do I do? What do I, what do I want to be someday? I teach psychology in high school, and uh, I'm not going to get real technical. All the high school kids out there get break out into a sweat when you put something academic up there. But uh, One of my favorite psychologists was a man by the name of Eric Erickson who talked about the different st transitional stages that people go through in their life. And he believed one of the most important times in the life of anybody was right at that age of adolescence, right when you're ready to make the jump into adulthood. You're not quite there yet, but, but you're getting close. He called this identity versus identity confusion. And he said, this is the most important question you can ever ask yourself. Who am I? Who am I? I got some kids that uh, when they leave high school, they know who they are. They know what they want to do. They know what their career is. Some go to college. Some don't want to go to college. Some want to go to work. That's fine. They know what they want. But a lot of kids these days, they leave high school, they don't know. They cannot answer that question. Who am I? And it leads to confusion as you, as you move on and you try to make that a transition into adulthood, whether it be going to college or getting a job, or, and you just feel lost. 
one of my kids, uh, um, you drink a water, you can get one, thank you. One of the kids I've, uh, I've taught, uh, she want, wanted to be a nurse. Great kid in high school, fantastic grades, got accepted into University of Cincinnati. Went down there, ready to go. She got run over like with a steamroller. I mean, that, that was tough college for her. She didn't do well in her classes. Her advisor flat out told her, you really ought to think about changing your major. You, you don't have what it takes to be a nurse. And she was just mortified. Okay? And I remember talking to her, and she was just like, you know, what do I do? You know, and I'm like, do you want to be a nurse? Yeah, that's what I've always wanted to do. Then be a nurse. Maybe UC's not the place for you. Maybe someplace else would be better. So we got the daughter thinking, and eventually she transferred out of UC, and she's just taking some classes here at Clark State. She's very happy. She's, she's learning how to be a nurse. She's not lost anymore. She figured it out, what she wants to do. You know, if you've ever been lost and you feel like, uh, you know, thank you. I'm like, ah, hurting up here. Ah, that's good water. Okay. Well, if you've ever been lost and have uh, questioned yourself and your job, your relationship, I, do I have a story for you here today? Um... Today I want to speak to you about an important person from the Bible, one that we don't normally speak a whole lot about, especially at Easter time, and this is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is somebody who had lost her life, but ultimately would be found by, by Jesus, restored by him. Someone who had been consumed by evil, but found redemption through an act of love and mercy through the person of Jesus Christ. In Luke uh, chapter 8, we get a brief biography of Mary Magdalene. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, talking about Jesus, going around, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's stewards, and Susanna, and many others were contributing to their support out of their private means. So just from that little bit of text, you know, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, something had happened to her. She had been consumed by seven demons. Um, I see some of you, I say demon, you're like, what? I mean, this is... This is 2017. We don't still believe in that stuff. Yes, there are things called demons that do exist, that existed in the Bible. They still exist. And for whatever reason, seven of them had, uh, had taken Mary. And only Jesus could be the one to bring out those seven. Now, the Bible does not say what her sin was, what it is that she did. The early church taught that uh, Mary was probably a prostitute. But the scripture doesn't come right out and say that. Uh, but whatever it was, it was, it was evil. 
I mean, the number seven in the Bible a lot of times signifies completeness, perfection. Uh, for example, um, God created the heavens and the earth he, and all of creation. It took him how many days? Six. I thought I was going to get somebody there. And on the seventh day, he rested. Yes, seven days. His creation was complete. It was perfected. Seven demons would be a perfection of evil of some type. So in other words, Mary was in a very bad place. Um, Probably consumed by some type of evil. Probably an outcast. Uh, If she was a prostitute, uh, she would have been, of course, looked down upon by her the society that she lived in. Kind of funny, at, at school, sometimes I talk about in sociology, most women who go into prostitution, they don't go in, in it because it's fun. Most of them are forced into it. They have no other means to provide for anything. Anyways, apparently after her rescue by Christ, she served him. She became a follower. In fact, she was one of the ones who helped contribute to support the means of the disciples. I always find that amazing. Jesus could you know, feed 5,000 over here, 4,000 over there, uh, but it still took money to run the ministry. And a lot of his faithful followers, they contributed to that. They, they, they kept it going. Mary was one of those. And the reason I want to bring her up today is because she is witness to three massively important events. The crucifixion of Christ, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection. So we pick up the story here, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Remember that story from from Good Friday of Christ on the cross. Now, for many people who don't believe, that's the end of the story. Most non-believers agree, yeah, there probably was a real person named Jesus. There is historical evidence outside the Bible that this man existed and that he did teach and that he caused some sort of an uproar in the temple. And he, So he was a well-known historical figure. But to a non-believer, the story ends right there. They nailed him to the cross. They put him in the tomb. The disciples showed up, they stole the body, they ran off with it, and they started lying and telling stories about this, and all the gullible jumped in and believed. Mary Magdalene, it's interesting, even during this act of seeing the crucifixion, she wanted to be there. She wanted to be close to to her Lord. She wanted to be close to Jesus. Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This had to be a shocking experience. I mean, Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. 
We have a lot of visitors today. The word Messiah means uh, Savior. He was the one that they had been looking forward to, been, been expecting. He's the one. He's going to save our people. From the Romans, from everybody else, he's going to set up that kingdom and we're going to be set as the children of God. Well, there's her Messiah nailed to the cross, an instrument of torture and of pain. This is how the Romans um, actively portrayed public execution. They did it to set an example for others, to not to cross the Romans. That's a different story of how he ended up there and you know, on the cross. But um, today, if uh, the events of, this, of the Bible were to play out today, they would have sent Jesus to the electric chair, to the bed where he would have been injected with chemicals until he died. 2,000 years ago, it was on a cross. Crucifixion is a, uh, a slow, painful death. Uh, basically, you, you suffocate. Um, you, uh, as, you, as you're laid out, it's difficult to breathe. Uh, after they let you suffer for a while, the Romans would come along and, with clubs and they'd break your legs so that you couldn't push yourself up to keep yourself breathing, so you just hung there. And people would then die from shock, from blood loss, from, uh, from suffocating. To see this would have been a very shocking experience for Mary. Here's my Messiah. Look what they've done to him. But the interesting thing about this, the other disciples, they ran. They nailed him to the cross. What are we going to do? Oh, no. What are you going to do? I don't know. Let's get out of here. And they took off. But Mary, she was still nearby. She still wanted to serve somehow. How can I stay in touch with this man who has saved me? Oh, well. Um, the Bible says in Mark chapter 15 it was preparation day. That's the day just before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, go ahead and hit the forward key on the keyboard there. It should work. Yeah, there we go. It was preparation day. That's the day before the Sabbath. And as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. He's already dead? Man, we only let him, left him up there for six, seven hours. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Here you go, take it. Go bury him someplace. Good riddance. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Ah, yes, there we go. I love Caravaggio. 
lot of people don't know who he is. He's the artist that did the... Anyways. Uh, Romans... The Romans were worried about this event. Okay? They had heard that there were rumors that Jesus was supposedly going to rise from the dead. And, of course, the Romans didn't actually believe that. But still, they sent a... Uh, a uh, group of Roman soldiers to the tomb to seal it. The body's in there. Joseph drag it in there. They put the rock and they seal it, probably with wax or some kind of a material. To, if you broke the seal, they would know about it. So here's Mary watching all of this, and now she's facing a life without Christ. The one who had rescued her was now gone. Now what do you do? Probably like me, running around in the store, she's scared to death. Who do I turn to? I can't go back to my former life. She's probably not married. All the disciples had run off. She did the only thing she could think of to do, and that's to still serve the Lord. Despite the fact that you know, we're in this, this horrible situation. She ran off and helped the others prepare spices that they would use to anoint the body of Christ. They wanted to minister to him. Go ahead. And... You know how the story goes next. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day... Rise again. And they remembered his words. This is Mary. And maybe some other women who were with her, there to, pre pre to take care of the body. And these angels show up. And they're like, you're looking for somebody who's not here. I don't know what your uh, vision of what an angel looks like. I mean, if you want to believe in the wimpy guys with the robes and the little wings and the hearts, go right ahead. If it, that's what an angel to me looks like. A warrior. Ready to serve God. Anyways, these two angels show up, and the Bible says they were terrified. I would be terrified if I saw that guy. Remember, he is risen. On the third day, he will rise again. I think in Mary's mind, it's starting to come together. She's starting to figure it out. Oh, the Messiah had to die. She still hadn't quite put the whole puzzle together, but she was getting there, I believe. She's figuring it out. So what they do, they ran back to tell the disciples... And they ran in and they said, guess what we saw? We went into the tomb. He wasn't there. And the angel said, he's risen. 
And the apostles said, what? You're nuts. Go home. It's all over. How long are you going to keep this up? Look, we've been hiding out now for, for three days. They haven't found us. Now, if you keep your mouth shut, you can probably hide here with us. And, but you keep running around out there. And Peter and John, however, they, uh, they believed in at least the possibility of a resurrection. But they still haven't figured out what it all meant, so they ran back to the tomb. And I always love the scene, you know, they're running, you know, it's like a track meet, they're racing to the tomb. They get there, they run into the tomb. What do they see? The tomb is it's empty. Nobody's in there. And the Bible says, and then they believed. They're like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Holy cow. And they run out of there and they run back to the other disciples. And who's left? There's Mary again. She went outside the tomb. The Bible picks it up here in John chapter 20. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And lo and behold, there's our angels again. They're still there. Two angels sitting in white, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was him. Somehow he had, you know, did something that she couldn't recognize him. And he said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll, I'll take care of the body. That's why I'm here. I'm here to serve my Lord. Jesus looked at her and said, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. She suddenly recognized him. It is Jesus. And the Bible says she grabbed him and jumped. Oh, you, know, you can imagine. That's probably what I would have done. You ever see people when a baseball game, somebody hits a home run, all the kids run out to the home plate, and they're like, everybody's jumping and high-fiving. Well, you can imagine if your Lord suddenly standing there, here I am. Jesus said, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell the brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So Mary took off and now she went to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. I haven't seen the empty tomb. I saw him alive. And it always strikes me very deeply that of all these incredible things that happen, Jesus makes his first appearance after being raised from the dead to Mary Magdalene. He could have appeared to Peter. He could have appeared to John or any of the other people of the faith. Peter was the rock on which he would build the church and 
John was the one who really loved him. But Jesus' first appearance is to Mary Magdalene, a woman, a sinner who had seven demons cast out of her, one who was despised in her world. She was the first to be delivered from being lost. I used to think, you know, Christmas was the main event for the Christian church. Russ talked about that a little bit this morning. Christmas time has a, you know, it's so commercialized these days that uh, you know, it gets a little difficult to, to focus in on the birth of Christ because, you know, you've got to go buy presents and you've got to do all this other stuff. For Christians, actually, Easter is our most cherished holiday. Not because of chocolate rabbits or Easter eggs, but because of the promise and the hope of what Easter brings. Now, some of you are lost this morning. I see some people I don't know. Uh, thank you for coming into worship with us this morning. I think the Spirit was really moving this morning. It's just amazing. But Easter today... Is it's not about chocolate rabbits and Easter eggs, and we do that. We had the Easter egg hunt, and it was a, a lot of fun. Easter is cherished because of the promise, the hope of what Easter brings. All of you came in here this morning with needs, and they're different from person to person. They're the needs that Brian has, they're different than the needs you know, that Sylvia has. But we all have needs. Most of them are hidden deep inside of us so that nobody can see. I don't want you to see my sins. And I sin. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not perfect. I make lots of mistakes. Ask my family. They'll tell you. I make, they get a bunch of them. But all of you have needs this morning, and some of you truly are lost. What does the world have to offer? If you can't find what you're looking for here, what are you going to find out there, out in the world? It's Holy Week. What did we celebrate in the news? Oh, we dropped a new type of weapon and blasted a bunch of people in Afghanistan, the, the mother of all bombs. I'm glad we have that weapon in our arsenal, but I don't want to worship the bomb. That bomb's not going to help me find my way in life. 48 people, 49, actually 49 people overdosed last week alone, right here in Springfield. 49 people. That's probably this whole half the, the church. That's a lot of people. What are they looking for in life? They're trying to find their way home through heroin, fentanyl that gets mixed into it, all the other junk that people put into their bodies. It's so messed up now, police have to carry a, a what do they call it, Nar Narcane or something, some kind of a medicine to bring these people back. Any of you use an EpiPen? That'll cost you an arm and a leg, but you, know, you can get a free, free shot from that, but that's, that's a different thing. My point is, there are people out there looking for answers. Maybe you're looking for answers today as well. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Well, you know, church was great, but Seth's gone now, so it's, it's kind of boring. 
anybody up there to keep us, you know, keep us going and, you know, I have a need and, you know, maybe somebody else could fill that need. Maybe, maybe church isn't it. Maybe you're like me for a while. Oh, just take, you don't have to go to church. You can be a good Christian at home and read the Bible and pray. And but we all look for different things. Pop psychology, Dr. Phil. Is Dr. Phil going to save you? I don't think so. But I want to bring you a message of hope. You don't have to run around lost in your life, in your relationships, on your job. You don't need to be lost and separated from the things that really matter, from, your, from the risen Christ, Jesus, who's alive today. The Bible makes it very clear that the whole message of the gospel hinges on the historical fact of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Jesus had not risen from the dead, you and I are to be the most pitied. The world laughs at us. We deserve to be mocked. Who throws their life away uh, for some historical figure who you got tricked into believing somehow magicked himself uh, to life? And... But if Jesus is alive today, that's something else. Let's not focus on the sadness, the, the gruesomeness of the crucifixion. Uh, when I was little, uh, sometimes I'd go to church. My uncles were all preachers, and they were from shouting churches, so things would get a little carried away sometimes. And the uh, you know the resurrection was always, hey, he hung on the cross, and he, you know, the whole thing. And it just was like, whoa, you know. But like I said before, that's not the end of the story. We're not going to find our way in this world through the use of heroin. Moab, bombs, pornography, money's not going to do you any good. Who's going to protect you? What do you want to be, the richest man in the cemetery? You can't take it with you. You know, haul the big trailer in with you, you know. John 10.10 says, uh, basically, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This comes at the end of a little parable he taught about the, the sheep. We're all sheep. He's the shepherd. And the shepherd stands watch at the gate. And the sheep that know him, they come in and out of the gate, and they're happy and fed, and he takes care of them. And in those days, shepherds would actually lay down and sleep right there at the gate, the only possible way in for somebody to get you. But people who come in on other ways to try to get into the fold, they're thieves. They're there to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's the world. That, that's Satan. He promises you this, and then he gives you that. Jesus is the shepherd that keeps watch and provides the way of salvation, not just so that we could just exist, so we could run out of here, hey, hallelujah, brother, it's Easter but that you might have a life that's abundant. We're not meant to wander around lost like a little kid lost in the store. Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly today, not in the future, although yes, that's our hope, the promise of our resurrection. 
You've all probably heard the story out of uh, up Champaign County. There's a kid who murdered his, his mother a week or so ago. And uh, they've released the transcripts of, of his call into the, to, the, uh, to the police department. And basically, the, the kid begins to tell a story of how he was so sorry that this happened, but this person named Jeff made me do it. And the dispatcher's like, who's Jeff? Is Jeff there? Yeah, Jeff. He, he lives inside of me. Jeff's, Jeff, Jeff tells me to do things that I don't want to do. You know, I didn't want to hurt her. But Jeff, he made me. The devil is a liar and a thief. He comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That family had found hope in something other than Jesus Christ. Anything other than Jesus Christ will steal your life, will kill you, and ultimately destroy you. Jeff made him do it. I was curious, so I went on Facebook and looked up uh, the dad's Facebook page just to see. I was curious. And his theme, his banner, was of this thing of darkness, and there's this evil-looking creature. It says, embrace the darkness. I'm just like, I can't believe this. Well, they embraced the darkness, and what they had, that entire family, was stolen from them. It killed them, and it destroyed all life for them. Don't tell me that a life without Christ is the solution. There's more to this life than living and dying and paying taxes the other day. Darn state of Ohio. Anyways. But it, it is the will of God that each of you have a future and a hope. People ask me, John, how do you know all this stuff? My friends sometimes they go, how do you know all this stuff? And you talk about all this like you... Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 19, I apologize, it broke down on me, but I like the angel. I mean, he's, he's up there watching me, so I feel good. Ephesians chapter 1, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. For all of you who are Christians this morning and have spent your whole life found, Easter is a great time to remember that at his resurrection, he was seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion over your job, over your relationship, over any other problem that you may have. He sits above that. The one who can keep you from being lost. Because of the resurrection, Christ is seated above all things, over heroin, over Dr. Phil, over money, fame, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove that everything he said and did was true and trustworthy. 
Your salvation is eternal and it's secure. We talked about that in men's Bible study the other night, how any other religion in the world, there's no guarantee that you're going to be secure, that you're going to find salvation. You're not going to find that in Hinduism. You're not going to find it in Islam. You're not going to find it with Judaism. People go to their death hoping, oh, I hope I was good enough. And Christianity, with a, I, not the religion, the relationship with Christ, you can be secure. You know that Jesus died for your sins. And that he, uh, his resurrection is proof that everything he said is true. And I've heard, heard Seth preach on this many times. There were a lot of people that saw Jesus alive. It wasn't just Mary, an ex-prostitute, you're going to believe what she said. There were a lot of people who saw him. People not in the Bible who saw him. People who wrote things in... Uh, and books and manuscripts at that time who make reference to Jesus and his being raised from the dead. A guy by the name of Josephus, who's a Roman, wrote about that like it was a fact. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, goes like this, and I love this. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, you could be saved, you will be saved. You won't be lost. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I believe some of you feel the compulsion to give your life to Christ and have not done that. Not taken that step to actually, hey, I'm confessing with my mouth because of the faith that's in my heart that Jesus is my Lord. And if you do that, you will be saved. The Word of God is in your mouth and it's in your heart once you confess that today. Easter is a fantastic time. What a day. What a day to be born again. You're not going to find meaning in riches, in toys, in democracy, in military weaponry. If you look for those things, you're not going to find anything. You're going to be forever lost. Of course, being a Christian is not going to make your life easier, but it will make it secure. When my mom found me, she took me to the car, and guess what I got? <laughs> I got it. Yeah, you betcha I got it. My mom found me, thank God. Didn't make it easier. Man, I still remember that. Being a Christian will not make life easier, but it will make it secure. Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. The road to salvation leads through a narrow gate. The Bible says, unfortunately, not many of us will use it. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. 
Most people go that way. Most people trust in heroin, trust in money, trust in fame, trust in all that other nonsense. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. Few are those who find it. I ask you, take the narrow gate. Take the narrow gate. Take the road less traveled. Isn't that what Frost said? That made all the difference. You'll no longer be lost, but found by Jesus. Um, You know, I've kind of spoken from the heart this morning that I think all of us need Christ. That's something only you can decide. Things happen in God's timing. But if you feel the need that you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He is alive today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that as, we, as the worship team comes forward and we, we begin our last song. Um, if you would step forward, that's a scary thought, I know. I don't want to step out in front of anybody. But if you have faith, Jesus said, you know, those who confess me before man, I'll confess him before my Father. We're not here to embarrass anybody. But if the Word of God is speaking to your heart this morning, and you feel the need to accept Christ as your Savior, I'm here to talk to you. Our elders are here. There are several men and women in this church that we could pair you up with who would be more than willing to give you their testimony to share to you what Christ has done for them. We're not here to get your money. We're not here to embarrass anybody. We're here to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. My prayer is that this morning you might consider that. Let's sing. Right.